I'm doing better. Didn't miss any work because I was sick. A little scratchy throat, but I'm doing good. I'm doing pretty good. Um, I, during first service, during worship, um, I don't know, man. I'm just in this really good place, and I'm worshiping, and I just felt safe. And it just, I wanted to, I wanted to commend you, church, about what a safe place this is, right? I mean, there's a lot of places we hope are safe, and goodness gracious, I hope church is one of them. And you guys make this such a safe place for, for me as a pastor, for my family, and for one another. And I pray that we will always be a safe place that would people come in here, whatever their story, whatever their background, whatever they're struggling with, that we will be a safe place for them as God does a work in their life. So thank you for being a safe place. I, I commend you, church. It's just wonderful. Um, we are on, in Psalm 32, and it's about forgiveness and confessing our sins, as David talks about in Psalm 32. And in the middle of the message, I've got a really corny uh, sermon illustration. So um, I am bound and determined to bring corny back. So we're going to have a corny sermon illustration. Apparently it's been really meaningful to some people. I have no idea why, but uh, I, I think I'll just do it one more time. We've, we've had a lot of fun with it the first two services. So um, one of the opening story is from Abraham Lincoln, and uh, it's a good illustration for our topic. And it works out perfectly because I also got an email this week from a friend of mine that does ministry on Capitol Hill. And so I think those two will tie together well. Is that all right? So let me open with this. Abraham Lincoln wrote an address to the nation during the Civil War that was at least as important as the Gettysburg Address. It was his proclamation for a national fast day. Imagine that. A national day of fasting by which he designated and set apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. We could use one of those, couldn't we? Lincoln wrote this, It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with the assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in scriptures and proven by all of history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Wow. On the heels of having prepared that as, a, as an opening story, I got an email from a friend of mine, dear friends of ours, I think they have their picture up, uh, Dan's picture at least. This was, uh, we took Dan Frost, he's six foot seven, you can hardly tell in the picture how tall he is, my goodness, he skies over me, that's my nephew in the middle, and of course that's me, I'm Batman. Um, we took Dan to the NASCAR race in Phoenix last November and just had a blast, it was the first time he had been to a race and We've known Dan and his lovely wife and their five children for about 15 years, and he does ministry on Capitol Hill. Dan was, uh, played basketball at the University of Iowa for Lute Olson, got drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks, had a brief stint in the NBA. Um, some of you may know his brother better, uh, David Frost, used to pitch for the Angels and I think a couple years for the Royals. Um, he wrote this, 
and I share it with you. He says, Dear friends, last week I was able to travel back in time and attend my 40th reunion of the University of Iowa basketball team along with our dear coach, Lute Olson. It was great reliving the memories of our youth as if they were just yesterday. Life in Washington is never on hold. Whether it's watching the Supreme Court decision on same-sex marriage, Donald Trump taking the surprise lead in the polls, or John Boehner stepping down as Speaker of the House. Every issue has far-reaching consequences and reminds us of what a powerful focal point the city of Washington is. At the last member's Bible study, of which Dan not only attends but often leads, uh, the conversation centered on how the current political system in Washington is broken. They all agreed that now, more than ever, there is a great need for a spiritual revival to sweep across Washington, to bring our nation back to its foundations. We believe that we are seeing the beginnings of that revival. There are numerous believers who populate our nation's capital at every level who are spiritually ignited to bring about a real change and believe in solutions that can only come from God. The city is filled with those who are connecting with God and experiencing His power in their lives as never before. Churches are shifting into a place with God where His power is unlimited and physical and emotional healing is possible. We are seeing a fresh hunger in D.C. for the things of the kingdom. More and more are seeking how to connect with God in such a way that equips them for the challenges that are beyond their capabilities. We are living in a unique time in history where God is pouring out His Spirit and bringing fresh wind into a dry place. Would you pray for these wonderful men and women who carry the kingdom in their hearts and are bringing so much light into dark places? Would you pray for Lori and I as we continue to build relationships and bring a kingdom perspective that shifts the atmosphere of D.C.? We so appreciate you and consider each one of you as a player on our team. Thank you so much. Lifting Jesus up. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's good stuff. It blows my mind the things that the Lord has privileged them to partake in on our nation's capital. It's pretty powerful. My hope is to get Dan on our calendar for 2016 to come preach at all three services. I think we'd be incredibly blessed by what he would have to share. So, um, yeah, more to come on that. Psalm 32. Turn to Psalm 32. What a great psalm. Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not overcome him or reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which has no understanding, 
whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they would not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we are blessed because we are forgiven. But Lord, you ask us to confess so that we may indeed be blessed and forgiven by you. Lord, we pray that we would have a heart of confession, a heart of recognizing our sin, and a heart that trusts you as we pour out to you for forgiveness. And Lord, we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. A little boy, upon being asked what forgiveness is, gave this beautiful reply. It is the odor that flowers breathe when they are trampled on. Isn't that pretty? It is the odor that flowers breathe when they are trampled on. That's what God does for us. He just breathes something beautiful on us when we sin and commit transgressions toward Him. Psalm 32 is an encouragement to the Christian of the assurance of God's forgiveness. Psalm 32 is an encouragement of the assurance of God's forgiveness. The assurance of God's forgiveness. The psalm contains elements of thanksgiving and wisdom for the life of the believer. If you look in Psalm 32, it says it's a maskal, right? A psalm of David, a maskal. What is that? This is a new term to us. And what it means is that it's a contemplative song. It wants us to contemplate what's being said. It's instructive. It's a skillful psalm for the one who desires to act prudently in their walk with the Lord. It shows us skillfully how to do that. Maskell is strategically placed right here so that others, you and I, may know that this is not just a psalm about David, but, a doubt, but about David for our instruction, for our benefit, for our blessing. It's not just an interesting story, but it's for our instruction. It is wise, church, for us to create the habit of paying attention to the Spirit of God and recognizing what He might be trying to teach you and me through the lives of others. We want that. David wants that. He was a shepherd. God wants that for his children. We want that for our our children, that they will learn from other people's mistakes and not make the same mistakes. Augustine is said to have had Psalm 32 written on the wall in front of his bed, where it was always in view, and he would read it incessantly, and he would weep as he did so. Like Augustine, I believe that if and when we get to the point where we also recognize the blessing of the forgiveness of our sins, that we too would weep incessantly. Praise God. Every week I usually give you an outline, and then I usually give you a big idea. Today it's a two-for-one special. The outline is the big idea. All right? It's on the screen. Here's the big idea in an outline form. A life of blessing is verses 1 and 2. Requires the discipline of confessing and is marked by progressing or maturing in our walk with the Lord. That's how this psalm is broken up. He wants to bless us, but we have to have the discipline of confessing, and it has to be marked by a life that's progressing in our faith. Amen? Verses 1 and 2, the life of blessing. Let's read. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. How blessed is he whose sin is covered. How blessed is he who the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit... There is no deceit. How 
blessed is he. We talked about parallelism when we started the psalm seven weeks ago, how one line after another kind of says the same thing, but it uses different words, right? And you see the parallelism. In verse 1, there's 1a, 1b, and then in verse 2, there's, verse, there's 2a and 2b. Follow with me the parallelism. It says, blessed is he whose transgression is A, that's the first part, forgiven. Transgression is forgiven. The next part is sin is covered. And then in 2A, the, his iniquity is not imputed. It's saying the same thing, right? You see, the, you see the parallelism there, okay? And that's great. We appreciate that, our, that this, whoever this person is, that he, his transgression is forgiven. His sin is covered and his iniquity is not imputed. My question is, who the heck is he? Who's this person that gets to have this happen to them? Who does the psalmist have in mind? Who's this lucky one when it says, blessed is he? Well, the last part of verse 2, it tells us, because the last part of verse 2 doesn't quite fit in. It's like that Sesame Street song, right? One of these things goes with the other. One of these things doesn't belong. Is it just me? All right. I, like, I, I remember that part. I can't help it. Right? And so the second part of verse 2 is not the parallelism we see in 1A, 1B, and 2A. Right? But it tells us, it's, it's clearly articulated that who this person is that's blessed. It is he who has no deceit in their spirit. That's the person. Right? Two, second part, verse 2, in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's the he who was blessed. And so what does this mean? No deceit. It means complete honesty with the Lord about your sin. It means you do not have a false estimation about yourself. It means not committing a fraudulent act against the Lord, trying to get away with something. That's what it means in the latter part of verse 2. If there's no deceit in your spirit, then that's the person who's being honest with the Lord, and that's the person that God can bless. So, Here's where corny comes in. All right, so I need, I need uh, three volunteers. Um, thank you guys for volunteering. That's really sweet of you. Yeah, no, it'll be, be okay. Yeah, yeah. Glenda and Deborah and, and Carrie Ann. Woohoo! You want to be first, second, or third place? First place. All right, just take, yeah, whatever. All right, so you're sinners, and you're a first place sinner, and you're a second place sinner, and a third place sinner. I have no idea if it's better to be in first place or third place if it's a ribbon for sinning. I'm not sure. All right. It'll only be about 10 minutes. You guys just stay here. I'm kidding. It won't be 10 minutes. You don't have to pin it on. I don't want anybody getting hurt. You can hold it. You can pin it, whatever you want, right? So we're going to work this backwards about what verse 1 and 2 are telling us. We're going to work from the bottom up. 2B, 2A, 1B, and 1A, right? You guys ready? All right. So when we get honest with the Lord, verse 2, part B, when it says there's no deceit, when we completely get honest with the Lord, in 2a it says he will not impute our iniquity upon us, which means to assign it to us like a ribbon. God will not do this. He won't say, ah, you got sin. When we get honest with the Lord, he doesn't impute it. And so you can take your sin off of you. Yeah, yeah. So your sin gets to come off. God's not going to impute that sin. So it's not assigned to you. But just kind of put it out here like it's not assigned to you. Now put your, yeah, your sin's not imputed on you either. All right, God's works for all three of you. Okay, don't make this hard on yourselves. Okay, so the next part is in, in, in verse 1b, it says that the sin is covered. So put your hand over that sin. God covers that sin, right? And then in 1a, it says the transgression is forgiven. And forgiven means to be deleted, erased. It never happened. It's completely gone. Give me your sin. Go and sin no more. <laughs> All right, thank you. You guys did a great job. You're sinless. Woo! A mascal. That's good. 
Here's what's cool. God, right, he doesn't impute it to us. He covers it, and then he just completely removes it. God forgives fully, not partially, not sometimes. Always and fully he forgives if we confess our sins to him. Always and fully. So here's a question, church. What about us? How well do we forgive? Do we forgive like that? Do we forgive fully like the Lord? That's a challenge for us. Or do we keep this handy on some people and then we repin the sin? We do that sometimes. It's hard. I understand. We get hurt, we get wounded, and people do something against us. We need to not only recognize that we're fully forgiven, but we also are to fully forgive others and not repin the sin of their infraction and their iniquity. Amen? And when we understand that, I think we would all agree that forgiveness is indeed difficult. And when we do understand this, it helps us to love our Lord that much more and to recognize why we are blessed when it says so in verse 1 and 2. When we understand that we have a difficult time forgiving sin and God doesn't, that's part of his nature. It helps us to love our God that much more and to recognize why we are blessed as the first two verses of Psalm 32 indicate. That's what it means to be blessed. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. After Acts and after Romans, and then you have First and Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses eighteen through twenty one. Verse eighteen. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us church, the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, what? Not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. May we continue to be a safe place and may we continue to be a church of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him and reconcile others to himself. Verses 3 through 7, the second part of our outline, the discipline of confessing. Go back to Psalm 32, starting in verse 3. When I kept silent, what happened? My body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy. My vitality was drained away. Verse 5, But I acknowledged my sin. My iniquity I didn't hide. I confessed to you, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me and surround me. What these five verses essentially are saying to us is this. When we cover our sin, He helps to expose it. When we cover our sin, God loves us enough to to help us expose it. And when we expose our sin, He helps to cover it, doesn't He? That's beautiful. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, When I kept silent, and then some bad things happened. My body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy. And my vitality was drained away. Although we 
often may be silent about our sins, about our transgressions, about our iniquities. Thankfully, our Lord pursues us nonetheless so that ultimately he can bless us. Genesis 3, 8 8 and 9, it'll be on the screen. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Who were they? Adam and Eve. They had just sinned. So they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife were hiding from the presence of God among the trees. And the Lord called the man and said to him, Where are you? I think God knew where he was. God doesn't usually ask questions he doesn't know the answer to, right? God went after him and said, Adam, where are you going? I'm here. You can confess your sin to me. We need to be in fellowship with one another. Where are you? Where are you going? Come back. The Lord chastens us, as we can see in these verses 3 and 4, so that we come to a place of confessing, which also leads to blessing. And this act of verses 3 and 4 of chastening us is an act of a loving father, not the punishment of a judge. It's the act of a loving father, not the punishment of a judge. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4, 5, and 6. Hebrews chapter 12, 4, 5, and 6. Powerful stuff. Hebrews 12, verse 4. Some of your Bibles may have a heading over it. Mine says, A Father's Discipline. Verse 4 is a sermon all by itself, but we won't preach another one this morning. Verse 4, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And that's this, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Verse 6, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Wow. And I have a note, I don't know when I wrote this note or where it came from, but it says this in my Bible, physical suffering can actually be an act of God's love, not a lack of faith. Let me say that again. Physical suffering can actually be an act of God's love as opposed to a lack of faith. God loves us. He chases us. Whatever it takes to get us to confess so that He can bless us ultimately. Charles Spurgeon says this, and I love this. He says, God does not permit His children to sin successfully. Ha 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 ha. Isn't that cool? God does not permit His children to sin successfully. I would hope not. Now let's look at verse 5, back in Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I hid no longer. I said, I will confess, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The last part of verse 5, it says, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Do you see that? This is just say, you forgave my sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin. When? When I acknowledged it, it says in verse 5. When I didn't hide it and when I confessed it. When we continue not to go there and be honest with God, we will still possess that spirit of deceit that we found at the end of verse 2. That's not a good place to be. In verses 3 and 4, David clearly felt, he can feel his sin because his body was wasting away. He groaned and God's hand was heavy upon him. David could feel his sin even though he was silent about it. I can only imagine how he felt once he confessed it. And many of us have had the same experience where we get something confessed and it just releases a burden and God can now work with us. 
I can only imagine how David must have felt. Somebody came to me after last night's service and said exactly what happened to me this week. I want to say it was a couple years that this individual said that they were just not willing to confess something. That they, and they did that this week and just talked about what a release of a burden that was and how now God can get to work. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. God will come alongside you. So what is, it, what is meant here in verse 5? To acknowledge, to not hide, to confess. Acknowledge means this. That's the first part of verse 5. It says, to acknowledge means to let something be known because you're concerned about it. Are you, church, concerned about your sin? We should be. We should all be concerned about our sin. And then we're to not hide it, it says. That's simple enough. And then the last part is to confess. What does it mean to confess? Let me tell you what it means to confess. It, it means to admit to a punishable deed or sin. It's recognizing what you've done is not good. And you're recognizing it for exactly what it is. It's a punishable deed or sin. It's not just, as I pointed out in verse 5, it doesn't just say that our sins are forgiven. For what does that really mean anyhow? But the verse 5 part D says that you forgave the guilt of my sin because sin brings guilt and punishment. Imagine a courtroom scene and you're the one on trial and the jury has met and they hand the verdict to the judge and the judge declares to you that you have been found guilty. That's not a good place to be. Clearly something comes after that, doesn't it? It's a punishable thing that comes next. In this scenario, clearly the next thing the guilty, guilty party wants to know is, what is the punishment for my guilt? That would make sense. I think that's the sentencing, right, Richard? I don't know. My daughter's in law school. I don't even know this stuff. I'm learning. Church, we misunderstand who God is if we miss that there's a guilt component to our sin. We don't just confess our sins. That doesn't mean just speaking it. It's understanding the guilt component of our sin. And so if we miss the guilt of our sin, then we will misunderstand God's justice. We will misunderstand His grace. We will misunderstand who Jesus is. We will misunderstand what He died for. We will misunderstand our humanity, our weakness, and what we deserve. We will fully misunderstand His forgiveness and His love for us. We will misunderstand the need for confessing our sins and miss out on the blessing that He promises in verses 1 and 2. When we confess, the Lord dismisses the guilt and the appropriate punishment of that guilt. He took it upon himself. Oh, my word. Andrew McLaren says this, God's kiss of forgiveness sucks the poison from the wound. That's beautiful. God's kiss of forgiveness sucks the poison from the wound. Now let's look at verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly, you and me, Pray in a time when you may be found so the waters don't overcome him. Indeed, we know the Lord to be both just and merciful. God is a just God. He has justice, but he's also merciful, right? Therefore, between the time of sin and the day of punishment that justice requires, from the time of sin to the day of punishment that justice requires, mercy rules the hour. Mercy rules that period of time so that God indeed may be found, as it says in verse 6. 
But once that sentence has gone forth, our pleading will be useless. May we never waste the day or waste the opportunity to get things right with the Lord. Please don't waste another day. May today be the day of confessing so that ultimately today can be the day of blessing. He who promises pardon does not promise tomorrow. He who promises pardon does not promise tomorrow. If you want, you can turn to Proverbs. Don't do it now on your own. Proverbs 1, 24, 33. It'll be on the screen. Write that down. You can look at that later if you want some, a reference verse or verses. The latter part of 6b says the waters won't over, overcome him. If we remain silent about our sins, we will eventually drown within them. If we remain silent, we will eventually drown within our unconfessed sins. The deep waters will indeed devour us. Pray. Confess while the Lord may still be found and the troubles of life will not indeed overcome us. Please. Another reference verse, if you want, is Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. You can write that down. We're not going to read it. Now let's look at verse 7. What a great promise verse 7 is. You are my hiding place, O God. You preserve me from trouble and you surround me with songs of deliverance. It seems very counterintuitive to hide from the Lord, or to hide in the Lord, I'm sorry. It doesn't seem a natural thing for us to, in our sin, in our moment of weakness, when we're not at our best, to go to the Lord. Just as Adam and Eve, they split from the Lord. But that's the beauty of this psalm. And it's the encouragement of that verse, that we can run to God. I got saved 35 years ago. It's just in the last couple years where I recognize that I can go to God with anything and everything. And that it's okay. I don't need to hide. I don't need to be ashamed. That's not from the Lord. There's no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Go hide in the Lord and know that that's the safest place you can be. Amen? And the last part, a life marked by progressing, verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be as a horse or a mule whose trappings include bit and bridle. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, surrounds that person. Be glad in the Lord, rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. The Lord is so amazing that he doesn't just encourage us to confess so that he can forgive, and that's the end of the deal. He also sets our life in the right direction, and that's what verses 8 through 11 talk about. He'll instruct us, He'll teach us, He'll guide us in the way we should go. And what I love, oh, I love this. In the latter part of verse 8, He says, I will keep my eye upon you. He keeps His eye on us during the process, He monitors our progress. That's just so sweet. It's like, God, don't you have anything better to do than keep your eye on me? He's like, yeah, not really. <laughs> that's a lot of work. I love that. It's so personal. He keeps his eye upon us. He knows everything. He knows the number of hairs on our head. God's eye is upon us. What a safe place. What a loving place. How does the Lord instruct and guide us? Clearly, church, we know this. Through his word, primarily through his word, of course. Yes, we pray for wisdom also. The Holy Spirit, yes, of course. Wise counsel, of course. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this about God's word and God's counsel. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, which means mature, complete, equipped for every good work. God has works for us to do, and the Word of God sets us in that right direction. Verse 9, don't be stubborn as a horse or a mule. As He instructs us, as He teaches us, as He gives us His wise counsel, we need to not be stubborn. Some of us are still being stubborn about some sin. I can promise you that. I've been stubborn many times with the Lord. Those who genuinely confess their sins desire to live lives of true obedience rather than mule-headed stubbornness. What is the benefit for you and I to confess our sins, receive the Lord's forgiveness of that sin, only to stubbornly repeat that sin? That can't be good. Verses 10 and 11, what an interesting way to close this psalm. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. Two things jump out here. There's two outcomes and there's two people. The two outcomes, first, many are are the sorrows of the wicked. That's one outcome. If you're wicked, you're going to have many sorrows. The other outcome, where it says, if you trust in the Lord, you'll be surrounded by loving kindness. I like that one a lot better. Well, here are the two people. Here's what's interesting. And catch this, church. Notice how David introduces the two people. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. That's the first person. But he who trusts in the Lord, that's the second person. The contrast is this. The implication is this. We either trust in the Lord, which results in righteousness, or we do not trust in the Lord, which results in wickedness. Our trusting in the Lord is everything. It's difficult at times, oftentimes, to trust God, to take Him at His word. In going back to our big idea, if you remember it, that a life of blessing requires the discipline of confessing and is marked by progressing, at the foundation of everything we do is the art of trusting. And that's a sermon for another day. The art of trusting. Proverbs 16, verse 20 says... He who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Perhaps if we are convicted to begin a new life of confessing, perhaps this is the first of our confessions. Lord, I just don't trust you to the degree that I should. That might be a really good place to start. To be honest with the Lord and say, God, it's hard to trust you. I don't understand certain things, Lord. It's easy for me to fail in my faith. God, I don't trust you. Lord, please help me to trust you. Do you know that's okay to say that? It's absolutely okay to be honest with God about everything. Do not let the enemy try to convince you otherwise. So perhaps that's our first confession. And when we do so, we will see the result of it in verse 11. We will be glad in the Lord. We will rejoice. We will be righteous ones. We will shout for joy. And we will be upright in heart. Let me close with this closing story about Copernicus. Copernicus was a great mathematician. His studies and calculations revolutionized the thinking of mankind about the universe. When he lay dying, a book called The Revolution of the Heavenly Bodies was placed in his hands. It was his book. It had just been printed, and yet he's on his deathbed. At death's door, he saw himself not as a great scholar, not as a great astronomer, but only as a sinner in need of a Savior. Smart guy, right? On the tombstone at his grave in Frauenburg is carved the following words. 
Copernicus gravestone says, tombstone says this, I do not seek a kindness equal to that given to the Apostle Paul, nor do I ask the grace granted to Peter, but I ask for forgiveness which you granted to the robber. That is what I earnestly crave. Wow. I'm going to close this with Psalm 24. That's how we're going to close our time together. And then Pastor Dave has something he wants to share with you guys as well. So Pastor Dave, while you work your way up, we're going to pray. And then when he's done, of course, our prayer team will be available after the service. I love you guys. I love this church. I love the Lord. And I love what he's teaching us in his Psalms. Let me pray. Psalm 24. We're going to close with Psalm 24. Let's pray. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you so much. You guys have a great weekend.